So here's some questions to start this morning. What is truth? Is there truth? Is there anything that we can know for sure? How do I know if I'm believing the truth? How do I know if I'm obeying the truth? How do I know if I am doing the truth? Am I acting on the truth? The Apostle John is writing a letter. He's coming to the end of his life. The Apostle John is the only one that we believe lived a natural, uh, had a natural death. Everybody else had been martyred. At this time that he's writing this, he's probably the last of the apostles, last of the disciples still alive. And what's happening is that false teachers are coming in, and this happened throughout the New Testament. As soon as the churches were planted, false teachers would come in and try to distract people, try to twist the teachings of the church, try to twist the teachings of Jesus, try to guide people astray. And John is writing to one of those churches, and he's trying to help them get prepared and to be ready and to stand firm on the truth. And one of the things that it gets a little complicated is right from the start, he, he, he writes this interesting line in chapter 1, verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Now, there's some debate at the very beginning of this book as to who it was written to. Um, because we know that John uses a lot of figurative language, especially the book of Revelation, right? If you've ever read the book of Revelation, there's a lot of imagery there. There's a lot of pictures and word pictures. And because of that, we think that when John is speaking here, when he says to the elect lady and her children, um, some believe that he's actually writing to an actual woman. Um, I believe in uh, all the pastors at Rock Hill, as we were working on this passage together this week, we're, we're coming down on the stance that this was written to a church, and he's using this kind of language, similar language to when Paul talks about the bride of Christ and Christ and the church being a bride. So, so I'm going to have that angle as I'm pre preaching today, that he's writing to a church, and he's calling them the elect lady, just like the bride of Christ, as the imagery that Paul would use. And so when we're speaking like this, and, and then he's also talking about her children, which we, we believe will be the, the members of the church. But John is writing to a church to help them stand firm in the midst of some of the uh, false truths that are going to come their way. But listen, he doesn't spend much time messing around here. This is a short letter, so he gets right to it. And this is what he says in the second half of, the, of this verse. To whom I love in truth... And not only I, but also all who know the truth. So right there at the very beginning, we're seeing the word truth multiple times. So he says, to the elder, the elect, the, the, the elder is writing to the elect lady and her children, to a church and her children, whom he loves in the truth, and not only I, but everybody else who follows the truth. And so he's getting right to it, and he's saying truth is what we're talking about here, the truth. And he tells them that he loves them not for some fuzzy hard to define or only if he feels like it kind of love. He loves them in truth, something that's real and something that's concrete. And you might be asking, just like Pilate did in John chapter 18, you might be asking right now, well, what is truth? Okay, so we're saying he loves in the truth and not only I, everybody who believes the truth is loving this church. What is the truth then? When Pilate asked that question, what is truth, in John 18, it comes right after Jesus says this in John 18, 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, here it is, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
And then Jesus will say in John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is declaring that he is the truth and that to know truth, you must know Jesus if you want to know truth. This is how one commentator put it. This shows that what binds Christians together is not social compatibility or political compatibility or even class compatibility. What binds us together is a common truth. And this is why truth is important to Christians because what binds us together is this common truth about who Jesus is. Listen, that's why we exist as a church when you really think about it and boil it down What we have in common, what makes us a church, is this one main point, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is truth, he is life, and he's the only way to get to God, and we want people to know it. That's why we exist, because there is a God, and there is a way to know him, and that is through the truth and through the life and through Jesus, and so we want to make sure that everybody knows about Jesus. That's our common purpose. That's what binds us together this common truth of who Jesus is. And so John is saying, listen, we love you in truth, and those who I'm writing on their behalf, they are loving you in truth. And then he goes on to verse, in verse 2, says, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Okay, so who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. We love you through the truth. Now listen to this, though. Listen how how important this truth is. This is an eternal truth. If you want to know something, a, a truth that will last forever, it is the truth of who Jesus is. And John says, because of the truth that abides in us, that it's settled down and it lives in us and it's taken root in us and it will be with us forever. That's an amazing thing. I was just with, I wasn't going to share this this morning, but I was just with my dad yesterday, 94 years old, coming to the end of his journey, coming to the end of his journey with dementia. He was in the hospital, in and out of really, you know, he, in the last couple times I visited him because of dementia, he hasn't known who I am, but we still just go at it and have conversation. I'm reading him John 3.16, and as I get done reading it, he's kind of in a sleepy slumber, and he goes, that's a wonderful promise. That's a wonderful promise. And I'm like, yeah, it is, Dad. That's a wonderful promise. And it's a promise that's an eternal promise. So I'm sitting there with him going, you've been 94 years, God has been faithful with you, and he is going to continue to be faithful. Why? Because these things are forever. The truth that abides in us and settles down in us will be with us forever, for all of eternity. That makes it pretty important. That makes it important, John is saying, that you know the truth and that you let no false teacher come in and twist it and turn it. The truth, what is actual, what is real, what is factual, that it settles deep down in us and will be with us forever. And remember how long is forever? How long is it? Forever. (laughs) Sometimes these things, we just look at them and go, huh? Well, wait a minute. This forever, this truth will exist and will exist in us. It's a truth that once we believe it, once we accept it as true and we accept it by faith, We have it, we know it, we experience it, we rest in it for all of eternity. It's worth knowing. The truth is worth pursuing. The truth is worth obeying because it's eternal and it's real and it's solid. And then he says this in verse 3. 
Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. Here it is again. In truth and love. So no words are ever wasted in Scripture. We just got to slow down and take a look at them. First he says grace, unmerited favor, the free gift that God gives us, and mercy, not getting what we do deserve. That's the difference. Grace is getting a gift we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And then he offers us peace, being at peace with God. <clears throat> the word here is the connotation of not having God as your enemy or not being indifferent towards God or not being agnostic with him, but being at peace with him. Can you imagine the, the beauty of that? Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you're experiencing it right now, but I hope that we'll continue to grow in our experience of the peace that comes from knowing God. That I'm, I'm in a right standing with God because of my faith in Jesus. And where does this all come from? Where does this grace, this mercy, and the peace come from? And the reason I'm slowing down and break it down like this, I want you to see the value of it and the beauty of it and the depth of it. So if you've been a part of church for a long time, grace, mercy, and peace, that's stuff we talk about and that's stuff you're familiar with. But I really want you to grasp it today that this grace, this mercy, this peace has come to us, John says, from God the Father. God Almighty has offered you grace, mercy, and peace. The God of the universe, the one who spoke all things to get into being, is looking at you, put your name in it, saying, listen, I got grace, mercy, and peace, and I'm sending it to you, God the Father, through Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. These two are working together so that you and I can have grace and mercy and peace. It comes from God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, and how does it get to us? Okay, so this grace, mercy, and peace that comes from God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, it gets to us in truth and love. It gets to us through the truth, through believing and understanding the truth, by understanding his love. His love is the crucial centerpiece to all of this. So to understand the truth, you have to understand his love. Listen, when I believe the truth of who God is and what he says and I put my faith in Jesus, and I grow to understand and experience his love for me, then the reality and the experience of grace and mercy becomes really very real and tangible in my life. That's how it works. That's why this matters, because I say I want to experience grace. I say I want to experience mercy. I say I want to experience peace. I believe in grace. I believe in mercy. I believe in peace. How does it get appropriated in my life? When I grow in my understanding of his love for me and the reality and the experience of grace and mercy and peace, it becomes tangible when I realize that God the Father, through the Son, has given me truth and that truth is filtered through love so that now I have a different understanding of grace and mercy and peace. It is from God, that's the truth, through Jesus, demonstrated in the love of God towards me. And there will be people and teachers that will come into the church and try to twist that. And that's why Paul, or excuse me, that's why John is saying what he's saying and standing firm in what he's saying. So that's the truth piece. And I want you to grab onto that this morning, that God the Father, through the Son, is giving us access to the truth 
that we can experience through the love of God, the grace and mercy and peace that God has to offer us. Now, here's the neat part in verse 4. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. There are many that were walking in the truth of Jesus. Listen, I want to remind us this morning, church, don't forget to rejoice greatly that some are walking in the truth. All right, I'm not going to make you look around this morning at your neighbor, but before you leave today, look around a little bit, and you're going to know some people that are walking in the truth, and you should rejoice in that. Sometimes our theological tradition that we come from can sometimes kind of overly focus us on lamenting and brokenness, and those are important things, but there is a place for serious reflection uh, on those issues about brokenness and, and our sin. But there's also times for serious reflection to rejoice that many are following Jesus. John wants us to remind us there's times to rejoice greatly, he says, that there are some walking in the truth. So sometimes, if you've been around the church a long time, Church Universal, you'll find that there's a lot of criticism of the church from the church itself. And sometimes we fail to stop and rejoice in what the church is doing and that many are walking and, and following Jesus Christ. So he says, we should rejoice greatly when we know somebody's following the truth. Because we were commanded by God the Father to follow his truth. So when I see somebody following the truth, I should be rejoicing because they're being obedient to God. And I think there's a lot of room sometimes for rejoicing that we miss sometimes. I grew up in a tradition that um, the, this, the discipline of celebration was a new thing to me. There's a spiritual discipline of celebration, and that is when God does amazing things and God moves, we should celebrate. And man, we got a couple of times that we, we had opportunity to celebrate in the last few weeks of people coming to faith, people hearing the gospel for the first time, people um, having... Um, moments where God is just reaching down and clarifying some things in their lives, those things we got to rejoice in. we got to go, praise God, he's at work. So church, every time you come on a Sunday morning, I want you to look around and remember that God is at work. God is working in our lives. And then he goes on to say this, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, the one, but the one we have from the beginning, that we love one another. Now he's pivoting just a little bit with this truth and trying to help us understand that if this truth is real in our life and we're experiencing grace, mercy, and peace with God, and we've experienced that all has come from the love of God and we're experiencing the love of God, then that should be impacting how we love one another. Listen, John is going to start to meddle a little bit. So if you've lost me, it's really important that you come back right now. And I want you to stick with me as I go through this part, because this is a part that has been challenging to me, and I pray that God will use it in your life as well. Okay, so you're ready for this. The God of the universe has multiple times told us that the most important thing, listen, this not just in this passage, throughout multiple places in Scripture, the God of the universe has told us the most important thing, what we were designed for, what he created us for, what he saved us for, is here in knowing the truth, and the truth is that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
And then he tells us to love others as we love ourselves. And then Jesus goes a step farther and he says we're supposed to love one another as Christ has loved us. The most important things that the God of the universe has told us that we should be focused on most intensely is to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as Christ has loved us. John is saying, dear lady, dear church, I want you to know and believe and experience the truth, the eternal truth, and that is the truth and love that God the Father and Jesus the Son has shown us and grace, mercy, and peace that he's given us. He's saying, I want you to know that church. But he's also saying that this will result in us being able to love God more fully with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that knowledge and understanding should also help us and result in a new power, a power to love one another as Jesus has loved us. One commentator put it like this. The integrity of our Christian life can be measured by our love for one another. I want that to settle in for a moment. The integrity of our Christian life can be measured by our love for one another. Now I wanted to make this clear before I go to the next part. So if you've lost me again, like I said, be with me right now. When I preach, I don't preach to people. I don't think through scenarios or situations. I preach from the text. I preach from my understanding of human experience. I preach from my own journey. Now, here's the thing this morning. Why I'm saying all of that, because some of you, what I'm about to say right now, are going to think I'm preaching right to you. Okay? I've had that before. People coming up saying, I told you something, and you just preached right to me on that. (laughs) That's not what I'm doing right now. I'm preaching from the text, and I'm just putting it out there. This is going to be a hard one, and I'm putting it out there in my prayers that each one of us will hear it, and wherever it's necessary, that it will do a work in somebody's heart today that is necessary. So be assured I am not talking to you, but be assured I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is going to talk to you. Okay? Here it is. If you are having trouble loving one another, you need to pause. If you're having trouble loving someone, you need to pause and look carefully and listen carefully to the Spirit. Because here it is. If you're having trouble loving someone, that's on you. No matter what they've done, that's on you. How do, you, how do I know this? How can I say this? It's on me too, right? Here it is. Because you have experienced the spirit of the living Christ living in you. That's why it's on you. You have the spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of the living Christ living in you. So if you're having trouble loving one another or loving someone, that's on you because you have the spirit of the living Christ and the spirit of the living Christ is the spirit that loves others. And guess what? Here's what he has said about you and me. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. You see, I can only love because he's loved me. And if he's loved me and I'm not loving you, something got broken in the connection there. Because he loved us 
That's why we can love. Here's Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, it takes it even a farther back. When I was rebelling against God, when I was an enemy against God, when I was a sinner, Christ died for me. So he showed his love that while I was still in rebellion towards him, he came and showed me his love. And I can't then not love others who he's done the same thing for. And then 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So all of it has started with him, his love for me, and when he has demonstrated his love for me, he sent his son who, to live in my spirit, the very one who did all these things, the very one who first loved me, the very one who, while I was still a sinner, loved me, the very one who came to show me that he loved me, and because he's come and now lived living in me, if I can't show the same love that he's showing, something is broken in the connection. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus and you have his spirit and are experiencing his love, it is a serious issue to not love one another. And the reason it happens is one of three things. Either you're simply not walking in obedience and you're not walking in the truth, which is obedience to Christ's commands. You're simply saying, I'm just not going to do it. Pastor, you don't know this person over here. You don't know what they've done. You don't know the kind of things that they have thought, spoken, whatever towards me. I'm just not going to do it. That's between you and God then, right? According to this passage, that would be not walking in the commandments of God. Or another option is you've misunderstood something of the gospel. You've misunderstood something of the gospel message like your own sinfulness. Or the completeness of God's forgiveness or love for you. That he has, he has sacrificially, and even when I still sin, he has reached out and loved me and cared for me and still loves me and waits for me. So one of the reasons we don't love one another is we have misunderstood the gospel to some level. And so if you are having trouble loving someone today, then you've, I want to ask you to wrestle with, is it I'm simply just disobeying God? Or have I misunderstood something from the gospel that has allowed me to do this and to think this? Or there's a third category, and this is part of what John is trying to get at. Or you have listened to false teaching, which has given you permission to not walk in the obedience of loving others. Let me say that again. We've listened to false teaching that has given us permission to not walk in the obedience of Christ. And the obedience of Christ is to love others as Christ has loved us. Here's the beautiful thing, though, that Christ will empower me to do this. And Christ is saying, listen, I want you to love others just like I've loved you. That's what he said in, in John. That's what he said to his disciples. A new commandment I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you that you love just like I loved you. Somehow, some way, we have come to moments in our lives where we can justify and come up with reasons why we don't have to love others, especially those who are hard for us to love. It's not hard to love somebody that's easy to love, right? <laughs> it's hard to love somebody that is hard to love because they've sinned against us, they've done whatever, you fill in the blank. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus loved us even when we did all those things to him. Listen, 
This is the hard part of the gospel. We're not innocent. And so as non-innocent, as offenders, as people who have hurt Christ through our actions and through the way we've done things, and yet he looks down, I still love you. And, and I'm going to keep pursuing you. And I'm not going to give up on you. Which means I don't have the right to do that either. To look at somebody and say, I'm done with you. Forget about it. This is hard, I think. I've had plenty of people over the years that weren't that lovable, that were hard to love. But you know what? One Christ helps you to love them, it's a miracle. And that's why it matters. Because it's a miracle that you can then go, whoa, the spirit of the living God has worked so mightily in my life that this person that I never thought I could probably love, I can actually love as Christ loves me. He says this in verse 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandments just as you heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. How do we love God? By walking, and how do we love one another? By walking in obedience to his commandments. What is his commandments? To love. To love others. Listen. I'm doing it again. If I lost you, come on back. Listen. When we sin against one another, it is not loving and it hurts one another. So what is his commandment? What is he telling us to do? To love one another. Listen, gossip is not loving as Christ loves one another. Gossip is not loving another as Christ loves them. Stealing is not loving another as Christ loves them. Lusting after someone is not loving them as Christ loves them. A bitterness towards somebody is not loving them as Christ loves them. Christ wants to change all that. And he wants us to be able to walk in obedience. And the obedience, the hardest obedience is to love one another. And then even harder is to love our enemy. To love that person that is hard for us to love. But anytime I get there, anytime I get to that place where I say it is hard to love somebody that is hard for me to love, I have to stop and go, oh yeah, <laughs> I think I was pretty hard to love too. And Jesus said, I'm going to love you so much that I'll even die for you. And my wife's here, so I don't want her to raise her hand or say anything. She's not, she's not, she'll, she'll easily say something, even from the balcony, right? <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> la, la, la. I'm not always the most lovable, right? And not only towards her, but sometimes towards God Almighty. And when we stop and can see that, then I can look at another and go, oh, yeah, Jesus Oh, not only Jesus, my brothers and sisters have loved me when I'm not always that lovable. So I should be able to love this person over here. And then he's going to go on to talk about those who are going to come and try to twist the truth. And this is what he says in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and an antichrist. False teachers are those who teach contrary to the teachings of Christ. Okay? 
So anything that's contrary to the teaching of God, that's from a false teacher. And primarily here, the issue of the false teaching was that they were saying that Christ did not come in the flesh, that Christ did not come and take on human form to demonstrate his love to us. And so they're undermining who Christ is and even that idea of the love of Christ. And so then he says, watch yourselves, verse 8, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And he says, to deny the biblical Jesus is always to reject the Father and the Son. That's why what people think about Jesus and where we stand on Jesus is so crucial. Because to deny the biblical Jesus is to reject the Father and the Son, both. And then he goes on in verse 9, and says, everyone who goes on ahead and, do, and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides, that means obey, in the teachings has both the Father and the Son. How will we know simply by are they abiding in the teachings of Jesus? How will we know if someone is a false teacher? Are they abiding by the teachings of Jesus? Are they loving one another as Christ has loved them? And are they teaching the true teachings about Christ and about who Christ is? Those three criteria, simply by are they abiding in the teachings of Christ? Are they loving one another as Christ has loved them? And are they teaching the true teachings about who Christ is? And then he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. He essentially is saying, don't give anybody who teaches these things a platform. Don't allow them to teach the error that will guide people away from Christ. He says, don't do it. Don't give them the platform. Listen, church, he was telling this church, don't give those who come in and not abiding in Christ, and they're not loving one another as Christ has loved them, and they're not teaching the true teachings of Christ, don't give them platform. Don't let them speak to the God's people. And then he finishes up with this, though I have much more to write to you, this is a beautiful picture of his personal connection with them. He wants to see them face to face. Though I have much more to write, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. He's saying, hey, we're family. I'd rather not write. You know what? We've got a lot of potential to apply that for us today too, right? Maybe I don't want to email. Maybe I shouldn't text. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just come and speak face to face. And he says, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. The others who are chosen by God greet you. We're all in this together. All right. Now the question is, what do we do with all this today? Those of you who've been here for a while know that sometimes I like to share what I call my pastoral burden. What is the burden as your pastor that God has put on my heart for this passage? Let me share these with you. First, that we would be people of the truth. Man... My burden for you and I is that we would be men and women of the truth, that would be in the word, that would be in prayer, that would be talking with one another so that we could come to places of truly understanding the truth and that we would be people of the truth because the truth will last forever. The truth of the gospel, the truth of who God is, is eternal. So that's what we want to be about is people being people of the truth. It's also my burden that we would rejoice that some people are walking in the truth. And that we would be encouraged and we would cheer one another on. Listen, man, we need more cheering than we do jeering, right? And so cheering one another on saying, hey, look at this good thing that's going on in your life. I'm with you. Keep going. And rejoice that brothers and sisters are walking with the truth. 
My other burden is that some of us have justified not loving someone. We've listened to false teachers either outside of the church or often they're in our own heads. (laughs) And believe it or not, a lot of false teaching comes from our own head. And if that's you today, I just want to warn you and remind you that you're not walking in the truth. And I want to plead with you to walk in the truth and to think about who it is that you don't love and think about why that's happening and come to Christ and have him help change your heart so that you have the heart of Christ towards that person. My burden is that one of the greatest of all testimonies of the gospel is the ability to love our enemies and the ability to love those who persecute us or those who have committed some other injustice towards us or others. The ability to love that person is one of the greatest testimonies of the gospel. And it's also my burden that we would know God's word so well that when false teachers and false ideas come, we can quickly see them and we can encounter them and address them and deal with them. So we've got the two things, people of truth and people of love. Now here's the real practical application of this passage and this burden. First, that we rejoice greatly that some are walking in the truth. Here's what I want you to do. Something really simple, but before you leave today or sometime this week, I want you to think of two people that are here that are walking in the truth, and in your heart, I just want you to praise God for them walking in the truth, okay? Just simply praising God that some of the people you know are walking in the the truth. Just pick two. If you feel really motivated, just keep praying, okay? But Rejoice greatly that some are walking in the truth. And think of two people and thank God for them. And rejoice greatly that they're walking in the truth. And maybe you even want to reach out to them and say, I rejoice greatly that you're walking in the truth. Second application, practical thing. Know the truth to obey it and to protect others from deceptive teachings. Know the truth. Be people of the word. Be people who study. Be people who desire to know the truth. And then obey it so that you can obey it and that you can protect others from deceptive teachings. And deceptive teachings are this. Anything that adds to Jesus, anything that detracts from Jesus, anything that denies Jesus, and anything that twists the teachings of Jesus. So if you're Jesus plus to be saved or taking something away from Jesus like they were doing in 2 John that he wasn't fully man or denying who Jesus is or taking his teachings and twist it, that's not the truth. And so stand firm on what is true, obey it, and help others and protect them. Third practical application, the greatest truth we're to live out is that, is that Jesus first loved us, and now we ought to love one another. I am just praying today that some of you will take this and understand that John has been using this family language, and he's talking about children, the church, walking in the truth, lived out locally in the family, And why this matters, it needs to be a safe place for us to do that. And what that means is that there's going to be times as we're growing and working these things through, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, we're going to make mistakes. And this needs to be a safe place where we go, Christ first loved me, so I'm going to love you through this. And that we practice truth and love in this community. And that we love one another even when it gets hard. And so... That's my application for you on this, is that, that we live this out, that he first loved us, now we ought to love one another, and if God is putting somebody on your heart right now, listen. Listen to him. 
Don't just say, oh, that's a hard one. That must be something that just is my own thought. Listen to the Spirit of God. Listen, who are you having trouble loving? It's a big deal. It's not okay. It's a deceptive teaching, a deceptive spirit that is telling you that it's okay. It is a beautiful thing when we recognize what God has done for us. And now Christ lives in us. And the spirit of Christ comes out of us. And we love people that have hurt us, love people that have wronged us, love people that have angered us, love people that have annoyed us. I mean, we can not love for a lot of reasons. We're pretty easy to not love, right? That's why I throw annoyed in there. Sometimes just somebody annoys you and you think you don't have to love them. (laughs) It's different as followers of Jesus. All right. As I close this morning, what binds us together? Binds us together is common truth. The common truth is that Jesus came in the flesh and he has given us grace, mercy, and peace through truth and love. And this came from God the Father through the Son so that we might obey the truth and that we might love Jesus and love one another through the power of his spirit. It might have been a little complicated today, but I hope that you will take that piece with you, that Jesus is giving us all of this, God the Father through the Son. He's given us grace, mercy, and peace through truth and love. And he wants us to experience that And he wants us to care for others with that same kind of intensity that we're experiencing from Christ.